It ain't that simple, mate. Hello and welcome to It Ain't That Simple, mate, the Bright Hope World podcast where we talk about, well, missions and poverty and and everything related to that uh, subject. And a uh, big special welcome back to season two of It Ain't That Simple, mate. Uh, we hope you've missed us. We've we've missed being here, haven't we, Kev? Yes, we have, Fraser. It's been uh, yeah, a bit of a break. Bit of a break as uh, as we've uh, been dealing with a few things within Bright Hope World, and and of course now in uh, June 2021, as we record this, our eyes are very firmly on. Um, some of our partners and that are uh, facing uh, another wave of COVID, which is pretty yeah. heartbreaking, and um, so you'll hear some of that in uh, our season two podcasts. Uh, but Kim, we're doing something different uh, this time, this season. Uh, last time we did all the talking. Uh, yeah, well, you did most of it. I, I think, was going to say you did most no, of the no, talking. Did I? Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and and I, you know, inserted a few witticisms here and there. That was my contribution. Uh, but this season we're doing something different. We we really wanted to let our voices take a break and and elevate the voices of our partners. Why? What? Wh- why are we doing that, Kev? Yeah, I think Fraser. The main the main thing is, I mean, if if you look at at our values, we you know we exist for the benefit of those that that are out there. Uh, Bright Hope isn't an organisation as such. We don't have great fancy kind of uh, processes and 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 stuff. Back here at this end, Bright Hope is all about our partners, and to be consistent with that, then really it's their stories, it's it's their lives, it's it's their ministry. That is is what Bright Hope's all about. You know, we don't have anything if we don't have great partners, and so you know, listening to them, what they have come from, what they're going through, and what they're doing is is the essence of Bright Hope. Yeah, well said. So today we are kicking off uh, the series. We're going to go all around the world over the next uh, few months. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, we can't travel, so yeah. I've got my seatbelt on sitting here. <laughs> this this will have to do in the meantime. Uh, today we're, we're kicking off with a very, very powerful story um, with a partner of ours, Zanita, who is from the north of India and um, just has such a compelling story, such a heartbreaking story. But um, such an encouraging story of of forgiveness and perseverance and yeah, it's one of those kind that. of tragedy to triumph kind of kind of stories, isn't it? And, it is. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty uh, compelling listening and and inspiring. Indeed. So we're really looking forward to introducing some of our partners uh, to you uh, in the coming months. Um, we're sure you will find them uh, as as powerful and as as exciting and encouraging as we do um so without further ado we're going to kick off um by uh, introducing uh, zanita uh, our partner from india uh, you'll note we in a lot of these podcasts we won't necessarily give all the details um uh, sadly there's quite a few places in the world where it's just not safe to do that and very sadly india is one of them so uh, for now zanita will just have to do thank you so much fraser for having me here. Yes, I come from a very small uh, state in northeastern part of India and a very unique combination family background, I would say, uh, because my my dad comes from a Sunni Muslim background uh, in the state of Manipur and my mother comes from um, a Konyak tribe 
the which is uh, which I mean a tribe that is basically known for head hunting in the in the past before Christ and so even now some of the tribes cognac tribes are still um, under very much backward situation uh, even some of them half naked some places you can't even reach you know uh, with transportation so it's a very unique combination so I am born to a Muslim father and a cognac mother uh, and. Um, my when my parents got married the, it was uh, as what do you call situation was in such a way that my dad was still not a believer but he wanted to marry my mother and so my mother said okay if you want to marry me <laughs> you have to become a christian <laughs> and uh, but my dad did not kept his word so for 5 years about 5 years my mom kept praying for my dad over a food that she would cook, over the clothes that she washed for my dad, you know, so that God would speak to her, him through through these prayers. And and God did amazing work in the life of my father, and he became a believer after five years of that patience and endurance and prayer from my mom. And uh, after that, I would say, you know, um, my parents lived as normal a very nominal Christian life, and uh, but then there there was a time when my father's family asked my father to you know come together and live with them, and these are all Muslim family. So somehow my parents moved to Manipur because earlier than that they were in the state of Nagaland. So when we moved there, um, there was a lot of trials, and I was just uh, ten years old and. And I was growing up to, you know, understanding of what the difference between a Muslim family and in Christian family. So <clears throat> I was I was growing up as a Muslim girl in my father's village and and reciting Quran and practicing namaz and you know I I had to do all the rituals that I have to do as a young Muslim girl um, up until when you know my far- parents were, had to go through difficulties and families uh, abuses and up until when they really wanted to see my parents uh, you know forsake their faith in Christ and come uh, and come back to Islamic faith my mother was poisoned and so when my mother was poisoned I thought you know my mom is gonna die I'm, I'm just telling the story in a short way here and uh, I saw her literally suffering with that poison in the night that she was poisoned so Everybody, Zanita, okay. Zanita, can I ask, was, was this this came from within the family that that yes. someone had? Wrought? Wow, okay. My own uh, uh, auntie and uncle. I mean, I was aunt and uncle who are, you know, the siblings of my father. So they and, wanted to get rid of my mom. Wow. Because they thought that my mom is the reason why my father has left Islam and come to Christ. And also now with three children, I have one younger sibling, my sister and a brother who are younger to me. So they don't want us to become Christian following my mother. So they they wanted to get rid of my mom. So they poisoned her. And everybody knew in the family that, okay, you know, this woman need to die. And so nobody came to help my mom that night when she was poisoned. And I, as like growing as a Muslim girl, I thought, you know, it, you know, my mom and dad are crazy, you know, why do they want to suffer for Christ? You know, why do they want to, you know, go through all the pain of, you know, out being outcast within our own family, 
you know, losing our privilege and all, you know, rights and everything, fame, you know, status. So I was like, my parents are crazy people. You know, why? I just want to grow up as a normal young girl, you know, having all the joy, privileges, you know, mm. uh, without, I don't want to see my parents suffer. So that was how I grew up and uh, up until this night when my mom was poisoned. And so I thought she's going to die. Nobody was coming to help into the room that she was suffering. And about, about you know, after a few minutes of crawling on the floor with all this pain in her body and shivering, my mom was whispering the name of Jesus, like in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And for me, that was the first time I heard her whisper because there's no time for her to pray like a long prayer or anything she just was whispering the name of jesus and and after a while some kind of fluid came out of her body and uh, and it was dark color and and then but it came out and so she changed her clothes and she was totally fine and that was a miracle to me the first ever Uh gospel i would say and that i heard or i have seen literally and that changed my my heart but I didn't I didn't really understand everything so the next morning when my family's like my relatives find out why this woman did not die she's supposed to be dead and so they brought a witch lady you know witch doctor um, <laughs> and then they made her they made her sit right in front of my right across to my mother and this whole family like a movie you know surrounded them and we're trying to listen to what this witch doctor is going to say. And somehow this witch doctor chanted a few things and, you know, put some incense. And then, and, and, and you know, and bro- I mean, she broke into a loud kind of voice. Say that the God whom this woman worship is the God who created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> wow. And this is not my mother. This is the witch saying that. <laughs> and, and then my and then she said, oh, the God whom this woman worship is the God who saved her husband's life. And uh, and this is about my father being in an accident many years ago and he was about to die. Actually, he went into coma. And, you know, after much prayer from my moms and families who, who are believer in Christ, prayed for my father. And and of course, he 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 did not die. He came back to life. And this witch doctor is the one telling about it, you know. And so th- those two incidents made a turning point in my life to see Jesus above Allah, Jesus above the God, you know, that the Muslims, um, you know, pray. Uh, not to um, say anything against it, but to know that, you know, Jesus is a God that is living and who answers prayers. And, you know, so that made a turning point in my life. Wow. And so when this uh, you know, happened and, and, you know, your family, your broader family is, is going after your immediate family mm-hmm. um, and, and, and obviously they, they survived that. What does that do? Is, is your, uh, were they, did they accept your family at that point or, you know, how does that change how you're living? Um, it, it totally actually changed the picture or the scenario of our family. We used to live in a house that is like normal, you know, Indian family would live joint family. Like I I know, you know, some of you will be aware of it. And so we have a big family living next to each other and we share the 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 campus. I mean, the the, how do you call the the courtyard or something of the house? Mm. Yeah. But then we were outcast within our own house and we were 
put in a one room where we have to eat, sleep, cook, everything. It's just like totally outcast within our own family. It's if you look at modern days, I mean modern. I mean we were modern. I would say now I would say you know it would be totally considered domestic abuse or you mm. know, and we didn't even had an idea about what was going on. We just accepted it at that point, just trying to survive and you know. Um, live a life actually because we had no idea we were not connected to outside world from that Muslim village we were just confined to that we had no connection with any Christians any church or and even Christians were not aware that we were there you know so it was kind of like a prison for how us long did that, how long did that carry on for um, very intensively from the year of 2000 to 2000 early of 2004, four years. Oh, wow, four years. Four years, yeah. And then w w what changed at that point, Anita? Um, and finally, uh, in the in, in the early part of, like, in February 6th of 2004, I mean, I remember the date because it's just so, you know, <laughs> I mean, something that happened in my life that I can't forget. So on the 6th of February 2004, my whole relative come together for a festival, which is, uh, you know, the festival Eid and Idul Juha, which is a festival of sacrifice. And so they come together and they say, okay, fine, after this four, even intensive, this four years was filled with all this physical abuse, you know, all kinds of abuse that we went through, you know. And so they said, well, we even poisoned, we try to kill them, we try to bribe them, but these two are not coming back to Islamic faith. So the only option for us left is to really get, you know, rid of them, like kill them. So my whole relative come together and before the 6th of February, for like about a week, my the oldest family member in the clan, like my family clan, would come and make my parents stay awake whole night and trying to brainwash them and say like, you know, Jesus is not God. You know, Allah is true God. Muhammad is the seal of the prophet. You know, there is, you know Jesus is, is not God. It's just a prophet. So they try to brainwash my parents. And they say, if you, if you come to Islamic faith, we will give you this much of money. We will give you this much of land. You know, you will be, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, things that humanly speaking would be very tempted to take it. And so they did it for about, a week and they they finally my parents said no to all those things and so they said well they have to do something else so I think they had a meeting and on the 6th of February early morning my uncle walked into our room and dragged my mother this is a man dragging my mother with hair with mm. her hair and hit her you know and beat her and, you know, my father was gone that early morning for a work, but somehow he forgot his wallet and he came home to pick that wallet because my, they started beating my mother when after my father was gone. So when my father came back, it was like God sent him back that morning. And so uh -huh. my father saw, you know, his own brothers hitting his wife, I mean, my mother. So he started trying to protect my mother and, you know, try to save her. But they all came together 
my father has seven sisters and three brothers. So imagine how many people, you know, in the house. Mm. So they started beating my parents' boat black and blue. They were dragging them on the courtyard and beating. And literally me and my siblings, we were standing in the corner and just crying for mom and dad. So after that attempt of beating and then my second uncle, who is next to my father, came with an axe to chop off the head of my parents, literally. Wow. So that was the scenario on uh, on the 6th of February in 2004 in my family. And I mean, if you want me to continue, I can just Please. Like, yeah, <laughs> say I, that. I, I think I'm, I'm sitting on the edge of my chair. I'm sure everyone who is listening is as well. We, I think we all need to know how this, uh, how this story ends. Yeah, I am not trying to uh, glorify the pain and suffering that oh, we no. went through, but the, the real experience of, so that morning when they were beating up, our house was locked, located just opposite to our, our, our village mosque. So whatever goes around our house can be heard, I mean, from this mosque. So that morning when this huge, you know, uh, beating was going on and the screaming and all this was going on in my family, our imam, like, you know, the priest of the mosque, heard what was going on. So he rushed and came running. And, you know, in this kind of scenario, you would know, like, when, a, you know, imam, religious Islamic leader knows about, you know, somebody, uh, you know, going against Islam, he would be rather saying, go and kill them. Yes, you know, finish them off. But in our in our story, it was the opposite. The imam came and said, stop beating them. And even now, if you hear my parents speak, it would be like it was a miracle. You know, it was God who sent this imam and said, stop. And he said, you know, don't take their life find alternative way, you know, to deal as a family, which was so, uh, I mean, if it was not for God, I don't think my parents would have survived that morning. So, yeah. And so my relatives stopped beating and they gave my parents three days. They say, if you come back to Islamic faith, then we will keep our promise of what we want to offer to you guys. If not, we will definitely have to kill you and bury you in in your own room. It was like, you know, threat. And and we will not even bury you in a cemetery like our village because you guys are infidel. You know, you are unclean. You cannot be buried in an Islamic cemetery. So we will bury you in our in your own room. You know, and otherwise, if you want to leave, you have to leave this village with nothing. But that was the most difficult choice because they are watching us every time. How can we escape? So that's that was the case. So on the on the 8th of February, two days later, the night, I mean, in the, in the night of 8, my parents took us under the bed. We were just too young to even understand what was going on. But they took us under the bed and, and my mom had saved somehow, hide a small New Testament Bible. And she opened that Bible because why we went under the bed? Because if they see us praying or anything, my grandmother comes and, you know, right away beat my mom or things so we had to hide under the bed and my mom read this um, John chapter 14 verse 1 to 4 you know Jesus saying to his disciples do not let your heart be troubled you know I'm going to a place where I'll prepare rooms for you you know and if I'm going I'll come back and take you and and you know when you hear this passage it's just like out of context for us (laughs) you don't even (laughs) understand what it really meant 
here we are, you know, in this little room, we can't even know what's going ahead, you know, what's ahead of us. But, you know, Jesus is promising rooms for us, you know. And but by fate, my parents decided to leave the village and we had to find a way to escape in a very, um, what do you say, um, uh, in a way that it will not be suspicious. So early morning of 9th of February 2004, my father left the house as if he was, you know, going out for his work. So he left with just only what he wore. About eight o'clock in the morning, I left uh, as if I was going for, you know, uh, to my own uh, friends or something like that with my bicycle. I, I escaped the village and went across the river. And about noontime, my mom came with my two other siblings um, as if she, she was taking them to the school, just with what we wore. And we, we never went back to the village. So that's our story. <laughs> what yeah. what was life like? I mean, you know, how did you live at that point? There was uh, one uh, local evangelist who knew about, who lived across the river from our village. He is coming from a Hindu Hindu background, but he somehow knew my mom and dad. And I have to ask details to them. So he knew somehow about our story. And somehow my mom knew, my dad and mom knew his house. So his house was our first destination when we when we escaped our village. And he connected us to another uh, local evangelist and people who were um, willing to help us for a month uh, to recite us. Because it wasn't easy for even local missionaries to have, you know, five people, you know, just come over to their place and leave to feed them, provide them. So for about a month, uh, the local uh, evangelists and all, they came with help and provided some help, you know, with food and clothing, and providing shelter for a month. But after that month is when, you know, all the reality hits and we had to see how we could survive, you know, without re- rebuilding our lives. Wow. So then was your father able to get get some kind of employment? Uh, how did you finish school? I, uh, uh, my father was in the, uh, in the, I mean, in the run, or how do you say, like in hiding, because my relative have had published in a local newspaper that like, you know, this, my father's name was published and saying that, you know, he's no longer related to us. He has gone against, you know, Islam and, Anybody, you know, like Muslim undergrounds are there, like insurgency groups, that they yeah. can, you know, kill him and it, it will no longer bother the family member. So, you know, these Muslim undergrounds were constantly in the search of my father to kill him and hunt him down. So some of these Christian people had to help my father to be in hide. So my mother and I had to literally start finding jobs to to start providing for the family so i was i was 15 by that time and i uh, my first job ever was uh, the security security guard i I know you know you go to shopping mall or (laughs) institutions you see a lot of uh, you know security guards i mean those days it was very uh, like rare to find so i had to go and i could not continue my after my high school 
because okay. you know there was no money or nothing to provide for my schooling. My two siblings could not continue their schooling for about a year, uh, and then my mother went to uh, a factory that makes puppet in India. I don't know, Kevin, have you ever tried puppet? I don't know, Fraser. You know, t- no, so. I, I, what, what is that? <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's uh, a, 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 a made out of uh, flour from lentils with okay, mixtures yeah, yeah, of okay. masalas and it's a flat kind of a bread but then they oh, want pop, to pop yes pop, yeah all right so so my mom had to work in the factory of making puppet and for about a year and she was earning six rupees per day those days mm-hmm which is, I don't know, 300 rupees or something per month like that. So, And so we, we became the breadwinner and started, I used to earn 1,000 rupees per day, oh, per month, per month. So, which is, I don't know, uh, maybe around 10 or $15, something like that. So that was my monthly income to provide for my family, five people. <laughs> so... Yeah. We're going to take a um uh, a quick break, but uh, when we get back, I'd really love to hear, uh, Zanita, how you go from from that point that you're at, at 15 and you're out working to be doing the amazing ministry that you're doing um, right now. It's it's uh, your story is just so compelling. Um, and and look, let me just say as well that that can't be an easy story uh to tell and and thank you so much for being so open and sharing it with us thank you thank you we'll take a uh, quick break on it ain't that simple mate and we will be right back okay it ain't that simple mate is brought to you by Lamai coffee my coffee is the finest quality organic arabica coffee from the northern hills of thailand we at bright hope world import the green beans into new zealand and we roast them to perfection then sell them to discerning coffee drinkers we're all volunteers on the team so all the profits go back into great community projects in thailand and that is why we call it the world's best tasting act of kindness you can order my coffee or find out more at lamai.co.nz It ain't that simple, mate. Welcome back to It Ain't That Simple, mate, the Bright Hope World podcast, where we're talking uh, with Zanita, one of our partners in India. And we've just heard uh, Zanita's uh, incredible, amazing story of uh, escaping from a family that was really persecuting uh, her and her mum and dad and and, um, brother and sister. And... Where we left you, Zanita, you were, it was about uh, 2006, I think, you were uh, mm-hmm. a security guard uh, mm-hmm. working to provide for the family. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know we we met you in uh, about 2013 at a mm-hmm. Bible college. Mm-hmm. Um, t- bring us up to speed. What What's happening in that time span between your, your security guard and then uh, seven years later, you're mm-hmm. at Bible college. W- what's happening there? I, <clears throat> my parents right away after our escape and, you know, they said, we need to forgive your uncles and aunties who have persecuted us. And to me, that was like, uh, what? You know, 
okay, I love Jesus. I want to be a follower because he saved us. He protected us. You know, he provided for us. But I'm not going to love these people who persecuted us. You know, mm-hmm. it was a hard journey for me. And being the oldest in the family who have seen everything, really, I said, no, I'm not, I cannot love them back. I can love Jesus, but I don't want to love my neighbors. It's something like that, you know. Now, but so I struggled with that for a long time. Up until, you know, every day my mom and dad, in regardless to what we have or not, you know, we they would always bring us together every evening and pray together. And, you know, bring this, uh, you know, impart us with the word of God and help us. And my father finally was able to, after two years of, you know, by 2007, my father was able to resume a little bit of, you know, work. So he went out and um, found, found himself a job, which is a bus driver for a school bus. So he's, he, he was a bus driver from Monday to uh, uh, Friday. And uh, sorry, every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, my mom and dad would join a local church or local ministry group for outreaches. And, you know, they were so passionate about sharing the love of God. And nobody was there like supporting them as such or, you know, under any organization, but they just willingly do it. And I saw my parents doing it so passionately for the Lord and forgiving those who persecuted them. And, Mm. you know, my father would, even we had barely survived as a family to provide ourselves a food and shelter, but then he will, my parents will set aside some money to be able to uh, uh, put into the ministry, like, you know, outreach, like the gas, buying a gas or like petrol or, you know, uh, auto rickshaw fare, something like that. So they were helping each other and ministering to people. That really, you know, slowly started putting a heart uh, for me to learn more about the word of God. And, uh, and then as a family, we felt the call of God that why we were saved from such a hand, you know, such, from such persecution was because that we would become the light to our own people, that we can share the gospel. So with that note, I I started having a desire to learn, you know, more about the Word of God. So I I said maybe I should go to Bible school. So I I asked my father, should I or not? Because I knew I was main breadwinner of the family. And if I go away to study Bible school, who's going to provide my family? You know, of course, my mom and dad can provide, but every penny matters. So I was thinking, should I or not? But somehow my father said, if you are going to go, you're going to go for the Lord. And this is for long, you know, for eternity. You know, you want to serve the Lord. So just go ahead. The Lord will take care of us. So with that faith, I I started going to Bible school in 2000, later part of 2006. And uh, I mean, the to put the story, there were so many challenges because coming from a Muslim background, not many people were like, is this real? You know, is Janita a real born-again Christian or not? You know, instead of supporting me and encouraging mm. me, <laughs> somewhere okay. like tricky. Yeah. So they were suspicious. Suspicious, you? yeah. Uh, nobody mm. wanted to write a recommendation letter or nothing. And you were like, you were like Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so when I landed up into one of the Bible school in Manipur itself, in the southern part, they said the the the, t- the principal said, you know, if you do well for a semester and prove yourself to be a real born-again Christian, then maybe we'll consider you having for long term. <laughs> so 
I mean, I didn't pretend I was myself. I wanted to learn, you know, and I I was top of my class. I mean, I had not, I mean, I, I, I was learning everything together in that Bible school. Somehow I passed well, and so they gave me scholarship, and I studied there for about four years with my bachelor's of uh, theology. And then I went on to do, uh, I mean, I was coming back and helping my parents on and off during the studies with ministries and also family. Then finally, uh, I was able to go to SIEX in 2013. Um, you know, long story short, I never imagined myself to land up in SIEX because SIEX is considered one of the best institute, you know, Christian institute in India with, you know, good education and you know, and also it was expensive to be there. And but somehow I went for a, a test and I passed and they selected me and they asked me, you know, who's going to support me? I said, Jesus is going to support me. And they, <laughs> said, <laughs> they said, well, we appreciate your faith, but who's going to pay your fees? And hmm. but God opened door for me and I was studying there in SIEX. And that's when I met Bright Hope World for the first time ever. It was like being a scholarship student in SIEX, whenever donors or friends of SIEX come to SIEX, they would select some students like me and some of other friends who also have unique background in their uh, life and story so that we can share our story to our donors or, you know, to the friends of SIEX. So I was just selected to be. It was like a random probably, you know. Uh, but then I got to meet the team of Bright Hope World and, you know, who asked story, prayed for me. And that was my first encounter with Bright Hope World. Now, I, I'm you, you might need to block your ears because this might be embarrassing for you, Zanita. But I'm going to ask Kevin a question, which is, you know, we meet and Kevin particularly, we meet an awful lot of people in an awful lot of places. Mm -hmm. And most of them we don't partner with. And mm -hmm. I want to ask Kevin why, when you met Zanita, did you say this is someone we need to partner with? Well, it wasn't just me. Rob Perdue was there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think uh, between us, it was very obvious that there was something about Zanita, her personality, uh, her passion, and and her focus on on the north of India, where we were particularly interested as well. Uh, and then when we heard her story and and you know the people that she was uh, dreaming about going back to to minister to, uh, it wasn't it wasn't difficult no. to, mm -hmm. to say yeah yeah we need to keep following her and uh, see what develops, see what God would do. So that that's kind of how it happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Zanita, tell us about NGM and tell us about you know what the ministry is that you're involved in and how, how it's grown and the, the different things that uh, you're doing? Well, <clears throat> NGM has been in actively working in Manipur for now 13, 14 years, uh, uh, officially, but non-officially since 2008. So we've been there <clears throat> and we, we are working among indigenous people, indigenous as in particularly the group of Muslims who are called as Pangals in Manipur. And uh, probably it's unheard of for many people who knew about even India because some of the people only knew about bigger cities and all. And we come yes. from an extreme eastern part, you know, um, with a lot of challenges, uh, even politically, socially and economically. So, <clears throat> so we work among this uh, special group of people, which is in my own state, it's just 10% of population. 
Um, and uh, so we have been ministering and evangelizing among the so-called Muslim group. And we do, uh, we have just only a handful of believers from uh, Pangal group. And even those handful of those are working uh, under several uh, in se- different churches and all because they don't have uh, they cannot stand on on our on their own you know without pro- uh, support or help so they are all scattered around but we as ngm remain and stood by regardless to whatever challenges we face we said we will continue to minister and and do to the vision and call mission that God has given us, that is to be able to bring more Muslims into the Lord, especially from Pangal group. So we didn't we didn't distract ourselves from uh, any other things. We just focus on this particular group. We we also do um, uh, trainings with local churches because we wanted to impart the vision about why you know as church as mission that we need to come together because we cannot just rely on only this. Um, uh, Muslim converts to go back and evangelize. It is hard for them, so we encourage mm. we encourage the local churches and mission organizations with their evangelists and missionaries to learn about you know how we can culturally you know because it's hard to go into the Muslim village or people's life to share gospel. So we need to know their culture, be, you know, worldviews, and so that we can connect with them. And not just to share gospel alone, but even to build relationship, you know, as Christians, so that yeah. we can show our love. And, you know, so uh, we are doing those kind of work very act- actively in Manipur. Uh, and also we re- we connect and partner with some other ministries in Northeast India so that we can reach out to wider group of Muslims around Northeast India. There are eight different states in Northeast India. And, so with the yeah. with the uh, training of churches, how, how are the churches responding to the training that you give them? Uh, are they becoming more aware of the Pangal people, or are they becoming more active in moving towards them? Yes, uh, there. In the beginning, it was like it took a little while for us to, you know, visit them and encourage them and share our vision. Why? Because, you know, they understand about, okay, mission and evangelism, but they don't really want to attempt with doing that factor with the Muslim group because yeah. they're like, oh, they're just so difficult people. You know, yeah. they will never become Christians or maybe they are all terrorists, you know, <laughs> like all these presuppositions. And, you know, so they have already. So it took a while for us to, you know, break down those walls. And really help them see Muslims are also people created by God in his image and likeness. And they need Jesus as much as we all need. So we we share that and they're very open-minded. And in since 2016, you know, with the active training after my SIAC studies, when we, been, we have seen a tremendous, uh, what do you call, um, uh, awakening and, you know, desire and wanting to partner and learn, you know so that they can also become part of evangelizing. So we see that happening. And given, you know, your own story and, you know, the the, the huge cost that someone who is from uh, a Muslim background, the huge cost they pay if they become a Christian, what sort of response do you see from people that you're ministering to? Are they, you know, are you seeing people you know be open to the gospel or you know what are you actually finding when you go out there 
mo most of the time it is a very um, exclusive meetings i would say uh, is it am i right yeah so uh, we we uh, but on the other hand my father being a person, my parents being people who have been, you know, openly declared as Christians by these Muslims. So most of these Muslims in my city, they know my parents as like, you know, they know them as in, oh, these people are rebels, you know, <laughs> they left Islam. <laughs> but they tried to kill my parents several times, but it never, you know, happened. So they kind of like gave up now, you know, and they'll say, okay. You guys continue to stay as Christians, but don't try to evangelize. And they kind of, you know, dislike my parents, but they cannot do anything. So they know that <laughs> they're there. So now whatever we do, are also, they are also aware of it. So it just we, it takes uh, for us now to really strategically do whatever we do in such a way that they know that we are here not against you as person. You know, we're just talking mm. about faith. You know, we have changed our faith because we know that Jesus is Christ. So when we do that, some people are really interesting and they take, uh, what do you call, um, risk to come and see my parents or they take risk to meet us somewhere else. And so we get chance to share gospel with them. And many people have also accepted Christ. Some of them continue to remain uh, unidentified for for security reason but they come and fellowship with us and we get to minister to them as well so wow. but there is always uh, a, a, you know we have to be always prepared for whatever challenges comes uniquely and uh, specifically to each person that we minister to wow. yeah Tell us a little bit, you've, uh, and we need to be coming towards the end of this now, but mm -hmm. you uh, you have a cafe there. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. how, what, what's the, uh, the benefit of having that, and how do you use that in terms of the ministry that, that you're doing? The vision to have a cafe came as, uh, as, you know, Kevin, you would say, after cooking a lot in my mind and, you know, prayerfully, <laughs> <laughs> the idea. You know, when I, when, I mean, personally, I was able to go to Bible school and learn about, you know, ministry, learn about the Word of God. But there was always deep in my desire because when we first be, were excommunicated from our, our family, our village, when we lost everything, there were people who, who say, oh, tell us about your story, would pray for you and, you know, spiritually help us. But there was no one who, who considered to help us in our skills or, you know, help us grow so that we would survive as family. So that continued to remain as something in my heart, like, you know, it's not just about spiritual, uh, you know, um, what do you call salvation? You need people to be able to have food on the table, you know, have something, have some skills to survive in their life. So that was in my heart. For a long time and I prayed about it and you know I was just you know building up this vision and, and plans and project and then cafe was part of that and so now we have a cafe as a part of vocationally help um, the community especially the community that including my own family you know we we don't have anything that you know other than ministering and all there's no income generation there's nothing that was helping us grow beyond, you know, what 
what we, I mean, we should not just be a survivors. I believe in we should be people who are victors, you know. We don't need to remain as victims. We need to grow and thrive in our life. So I wanted to be able to create job and create environment. And also, even in ministry perspective, cafe is a place where even Muslims would walk in without, uh, what do you call, um, pre, pre-assumptions. I don't mm. know if I'm saying it right. Mm, so, yeah, in our cafe, we have Muslims walk into our cafe. We have built a strong friendship with one of the police officers in our town itself. He was so excited. He brought even his wife, you know, and cousins and everybody, you know. And and that is a place. And so in the cafe, we have also a place where we can take people aside to even share and pray God, share gospel and pray with them. So it has been working very fine since, uh, you know, we opened up in 2019. But right now it's affected because of um, uh, the COVID. Yes. We also have employed uh, uh, new Muslim converts as our employee. And they're working and their families don't know. Their family look at probably as a job, but they are believers. So they come to come out of their house. They get to study the word with us and grow and we get to disciple. So it works side by side for us. Uh, you know, yeah. And and very importantly, Zanita, how is the coffee at the cafe? Uh, I I haven't been able to visit yet. Is is the coffee good? Because we care about that. I know. Kevin should be able to tell that. I don't know how it felt. How, how is it, Kevin? Is it good coffee? In fact, the funny thing is, yeah, purchasing their coffee from Thailand, the very same place that we bring. Oh, it there you go. Together. That's how you know it's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It must be of the Lord. Is that what you mean? That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> I, look, yeah. we, we, I would love to carry on the conversation, but uh, we, we do need to bring it to a close. Zanita, mm-hmm. it is an absolute pleasure to talk to you again. And, and Thank you so much. To know that you are well and, um, you know, we are aware and, and a lot of us are praying for India at the moment, um, in, in June of 2021, it is, um, it's struggling. You know, there's a lot of very sad things happening in India with, with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so do know we, we hold you in our prayers and uh, it is a delight to know that you're safe. We haven't had a chance to talk about it, but I know that you have had uh, COVID and yes. uh, it was pretty bad, wasn't it? Yes, it was really bad. I had, I had so much of, uh, difficulty breathing and i i mean i was ready to go home to see jesus but but god said i'm not done with you (laughs) (laughs) well we are very glad that he has let you stay a while longer amen yeah Yeah. well thank you very much for sharing so openly with us we appreciate it your story is one that needs to be told and we're very glad that you've um been willing to share it with us Thank you for having me once again. Truly, uh, you know, can I just say one thing before I end? Of course. I, I wanted to say this is something that, uh, you know, in my heart, that partnership with Bright Hope World is really a partnership that makes a difference. Uh, a partnership that walks alongside alongside for a long time like a family, I would say, understands and support indigenous people and their poverty. You know, you and Bright Hope World doesn't, impose foreign ideas you know i'm not saying this to you know just praise about bright hope world but it's really is something that i as ngm we have felt like you know how you encourage us as local people 
towards sustainability, towards working with, you know, committed people with certain projects that will benefit poorest of the poor. And, you know, and you would visit us with passion and encouragement without any judge, judgment, you know, ju without judging. <laughs> and you fit into a holistic ministry that, you know, NGMs, that perfectly fit to NGM's purpose and vision from the beginning. So I, I really thank Bright Hope, Bright Hope World for, you know, being our partner for these many years and encouraging us towards serving in the area where God has called us to do. So thank you so much. Thank you. You make it very easy to partner with, and it is, it is the pleasure is all on this side. I, I promise you that. Uh, thank you, Zanita, and, you. and um, safe travels back to India when you're able to return. Yes, we're returning next month so, uh, to Asia, to Thailand, and then I'll head to India soon. So, thank you. Take care. We'll talk to you again soon. All right.